Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 102 of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be recapping the 2021 Bahrain Grand Prix and what a race it was. We got so many things to talk about today. I'm super pumped and excited to do this episode with you guys. Just before I bring on my fellow Backmarkers, just a quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored by the GP Box. You can find description. You can find the links in the description below to get some exclusive discount offers. From our friends at the GP Box, they sell some awesome F1 merchandise, F1 memorabilia, and some used car parts as well, which are really, really cool. So after you're done watching this podcast or before, if you want to do right now, just check out the links in the description and uh, you'll be able to get a gift for yourself or a friend who's an F1 fan. All right. So let me bring in my two fellow co-hosts for today's episode coming in to, from Ottawa as well. Tyler McDonald. Tyler, welcome to the Backmarkers F1 Show episode 102. How are you today? Howdy, howdy. Yeah, no, not too bad. It's great to be back here uh, for the podcast. And uh, what an exciting race to start the season. I mean, it was nice to have uh, something in terms of a close battle between the top two and Hamilton for stopping throughout the race and uh, an exciting finish, a controversial one, maybe you could say. But uh, no, great start to the season. And uh, we'll see what the next 22 races have in store. Absolutely. And also for the first time this season on the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast, we saw him a couple weeks ago on the live stream, but he is back with us tonight. Full house, we got Shaker Barty as well in the middle of a move, but he's still committed. So welcome <laughs> on, Shaker. Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, yeah, no, very exciting race that we had here. Um, my house is very empty at the moment, but yes, very excited. No, great to have you back on. And yeah, let's let's dive right into it and speak about the 2021 Bahrain Grand Prix race one of 23, hopefully. And let me start off with it, and then you guys can pick up from here. I wanted to first talk about Sergio Perez, who Sergio was voted driver of the day in the end by all the fans, and I think deservedly so. But I wanted to talk about Perez because I was honestly absolutely shocked after qualifying. Tyler, you and I were live on our channel, which uh, was a very great live stream. Thanks, everybody who tuned in on that. But I was incredibly almost shocked and, and kind of just dismayed by all of the heat and the criticism that was being thrown against Sergio Perez for not reaching Q2. I mean, there was some people talking about, oh, you know, this was a mistake by Red Bull putting Perez in the seat, bring Albon back. I mean, I was just, I was shocked considering some of these fans were the exact same ones to say, oh, you know, Red Bull, they're, they're too harsh on their drivers. They need to take their time with them. And here we are in the first qualifying session and they already want the guy fired. But I think Sergio Perez absolutely silenced all of his haters and all of his critics. What an incredible drive that was, basically to be parked on the side of the track on the formation lap, starting from the pit lane to go to P5. Perez, in my opinion, was just absolutely stellar. I, I'm curious to know what you guys think, but I was, I was a bit a little pissed off with all the criticism and the hate Perez was getting because I think it was unfounded. Absolutely. I mean, I was listening to Perez post-race and he said he was very close to getting out of the car and just saying, you know, race is over. Um, but his engineer, he said he listened. He listened to his engineer and uh, he got the car back fired up. And I mean, yeah, like you said, Chris, started in the pit lane and all the way up to P5, a fantastic finish from him. And in his post-race uh, radio message, uh, you could tell he was frustrated, um, but was very grateful considering just how the race started for them and um, you know, not ideal for Sergio, but the, you know, the fact people were calling for his throat pretty much after the not getting to Q3 when it was his team's fault, not his fault that he didn't make it into Q3 um, was a little bit ridiculous. So it's nice to see him silence all the haters there. And I'm sure we'll have a strong next few races coming up for Sergio. 
Yeah, no, I was uh, really surprised, like right after qualifying and free practice and everything. And I think, you know, with the amount of time that um, Albon and Gasly was given to say after just qualifying and, you know, practice to say that they should already bring Albon back is a little bit ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. had one race yet. Uh, and the one race he does have, he goes from the pit lane to, what, fifth place? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess he just shut down all of his haters is all I can say. So, yeah, couldn't agree with you more, too. And I just I couldn't understand it because like you mentioned, Tyler, uh, and I mentioned this on the live stream as well, that if Red Bull would have put Perez out on the soft tire, he most likely would have qualified, obviously, into Q3. And I think that it was a mistake from Red Bull because you have a driver who is in your first weekend with the team, first qualifying session with the team. Everybody knows that he's not yet comfortable with the RB16B just overall but especially in terms of qualifying pace so why not send him out on the softs you got him on an alternate strategy against the two two mercs and red bull with Mercedes Verstappen who started on the medium and and you just play it safe for the first race of the season so I think they made a mistake in that regard because you saw McLaren did the same thing because they knew that the pace from the Ferraris for example the Alpha Tauris were going to be really strong to get into Q3 so yeah I think that Red Bull kind of made it a bit harder for him there but like you mentioned, Tyler, he was super calm on the team radio as well. His race engineer and the technical staff at Red Bull were super impressed because he actually lost radio at some point when the car just shut off. And he was smart enough to have the wherewithal to just re reboot the system really by himself. Yeah. So uh, very, very impressive from Sergio Perez. I think he's going to be fantastic for Red Bull this season. And this race is a perfect example of once Perez gets up to speed, which I think that next race in Imola, we're already going to see him in the top five. What a difference he's going to make in the fight against uh, Mercedes and helping Verstappen as well. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think this three-week break is actually going to be very beneficial to Red Bull because um, they already we already have seen what their car can do in this first race and kind of figuring out the little kinks in their car, uh, you know, just, you know, the car shutting off right in the right before the lap. <laughs> definitely definitely <laughs> help them out in the long run. Um, and especially, I think, I think we're expecting to see a different Red Bull this year from what we've seen before, you know, before it's been trying to catch up to Mercedes. And now that we see they're kind of on par, um, it's going to take a little bit of time to develop different strategies and such like that new team, you know, all that, uh, all that comes into it. So yeah, no, I agree. I think we're going to be seeing a lot from Perez and Red Bull in general from this year. So it's uh, yeah, very exciting. Yeah. I'll be interesting to see if, what happens going into Imola? Because, you know, I don't want Sergio to get any kind of, uh, not bad luck, but but get hard on himself for, for what happened in Bahrain because really none of it was his fault. And you know, I'd like to see him come back strong in Imola and, and the whole Red Bull team to come back strong and even maybe, you know, put the strategy into Sergio's favor and that way kind of boosts his confidence a little bit, gets him more comfortable with the Red Bull and really have a nice transition period for Sergio there. That way, um, you know, he doesn't feel like he's either the odd man out or the, the strategy doesn't go in his way all the time like it does, you know, with Mercedes in their situation where, you know, Hamilton always gets a favorable strategy and Bottas is always the odd man out. I mean, it's so noticeable and that's what you don't want to happen. You want a good team dynamic. And if they can get a good teamwork going with, with Perez and with Verstappen, I think you could really see them uh, take over Mercedes because uh, their dynamic isn't as... Um, I would say, mesh together as it is uh, with what Red Bulls could be.
Right, and you see that the way Perez was able to storm through the field in the RB16B, that it's confirmation that the car is very good this season. And certainly we don't know yet whether it's the best car, but it's definitely on par with both Mercedes, the W12 at the moment. So I think that he'll come into play really, really strong. And you bring up an excellent point. That team dynamic will be very interesting because if Perez is going to be extremely competitive, which I expect him to be, then we might see him get sometimes the Bottas strategy and the uh, malfunctioning wheel gun, shall we say? (laughs) The, The Bottas specialty in Bahrain. Maybe he'll get a couple of those. I don't know, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see what he can do and, and super happy with his performance. So I just wanted to get that out of the way because I think that some of that criticism to me was just absolutely ridiculous uh, for the first qualifying session of the year. I mean, you know, we always want to jump the gun a little bit too much when we're F1 fans, but uh, I think that was just a little bit too much. So, yeah, go Sorry, ahead, Shaker. The last, the, the last thing I am very excited to see this year with Perez is seeing more of this fight between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen because he is going to be that middle guy that's going to be fighting it out between Botas and Charles Leclerc and, you know, Lando Norris and all these drivers. So I'm excited to see more of this fight between Max and Lewis leading up to what Sergio Perez is going to do as well. 100%. He'll be a big factor uh, in this championship fight for sure. And we're going to touch on, uh, obviously, the big Verstappen-Hamilton battle in just a minute. I just wanted to kind of go a little bit more chronologically in order and talk about essentially what was uh, the race start. And <laughs> let, let, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which was obviously uh, Haas and Nikita Mazepin. And uh, Maz- no, no, no. I think his it's name not- is officially Mazepin now. <laughs> ah, I was going to mention it. I was gonna, that's what I was going to say, Shaker. It's not Mazepin. It's Mazepin now. I didn't want to go there, but you did. So <laughs> I think it's just official. You can't just, you know, do it in qualifying and then, you know, have the perfect name for it and then just not be called Mazepin for the rest of the season. So Yeah, someone's got to play the spin baller because I think we have a new spin baller. <laughs> it fits, doesn't it, though? Like, it it's, just... It- Mazaspin, like <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. I, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'm not defending him because let's be honest, guys. It was a pretty awful weekend for him because that wasn't his first spin. Uh, it was a series his of third? spins. More, th- more, yeah, more than there was one in almost every session of some sort. Not to yeah. that extra- extreme, but I think there was one in almost every session. One hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, like if we're being fair and this is the point that I want to talk about, because we can apply the same Perez logic in a way to Mazepin as well to say that it's his first race. I'm not going to crush the guy just yet. <laughs> let's let's give him a couple races to see what he's capable of. You know, I don't know him that much. I wasn't that familiar with him in his junior formula days, so I'm still going to wait. Let's give him some time. We all know that Haas car is very tricky to drive because Mick also had a spin as well. So if we're going to be honest here, then we no, have no, to. No, 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 no. No, no, we can't talk about how the golden boy Mick Schumacher had a spin and how the uh, the, the man who uh, shouldn't be an F1, in my opinion, um, had a spin as well. You know, we two different standards, so just pick on Mazepin. <laughs> yeah, well... I mean, Ma- yeah, Mazepin is not... <laughs> ...of a German legend. So, I mean, it's just different. Just different, so... <laughs> Built different. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Schumacher is the golden boy, though. I think we'll all agree with that. But Yeah, but he is also like the nicest guy in the paddock. Yeah, he's brilliant, isn't he? I mean, it's just, it was great to see his debut. He had an okay debut. It was a decent race for him. But at any rate, I just wanted to make that, you know, quick note out there. But I think after race two or three, if we're still seeing one spin per practice session, then I think we can officially anoint him Mazza spin for the rest of the year. But and, you know what? With Haas, 
where I think I'm not saying we're going to see more of that, but I think we're definitely going to see more of a development into their performance throughout them just settling right in, you know? It was on the curb, and I don't know if he was just laying a little too much throttle down or, or what, uh, but his engineer said, like, you know, no worries, there's lots to learn, and, yeah. um, you know, that, that's going to be the case for Sonoda, it's the same case for Mick, and same case for Mazepin as well. It's going to be a big learning experience. It's their first race of the year. I mean, we saw all three rookies make a mistake. Schumacher spun and, you know, Yuki really did not have a, a good first lap. Uh, even lined up, as, well, started lined up in the wrong grid position, had to back up into the right grid position. Um, so I thought so, yeah. you couldn't move your vehicle once you were in position. Like I think, no, but like he, I guess he like, was in the wrong one, right? He was in the wrong one, yes. Yeah. So like, because Sergio wasn't there. So he was just going to Sergio's spot and realized halfway and that he like, well, I was like, Oh, that's too far and backed up into his regular <laughs> spot, which is fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So everyone making a mistake, but I mean, that's what it is. First races of their you know, young careers. Yeah. No, oh, absolutely. And speaking of mistakes, sort of on, on, uh, you know, the start of the race or, or at the beginning, we have to go to Sebastian Vettel. And I was, we all have the F1 TV Pro subscription, which has been mm. pretty brilliant so far. And we get to watch all the onboards, of course. And I'm going to just share my screen here with you guys, because obviously I don't think a lot of people would have noticed this, but I just found it to be quite hilarious. And I don't know if this was intentional or if uh, Seb just forgot something here, but hold on, let me just... So, so this was Seb at the race start. Obviously, he was starting 20th because of the penalty for ignoring the yellow flags uh, the day before in qualifying. And so he lines up to the grid here. And it's very interesting because I don't know if he forgot that he was starting 20th, but he only engaged the clutch and built his revs almost at the fifth light. So pay attention to the lights. <laughs> Jeez. So he almost didn't even get, I mean, I don't know, he was just all rushed, but I mean, it was an amazing start. Yeah, he just blew the hosses out of the water there. And it, it continues here because he sends it on the inside of the Alpine here of Ocon. And then he gets an excellent run here on Sonoda as well, going into turn four. A little bit of contact, but as he says later on that he didn't have any front wing damage. I mean, you guys forget that he was you he's used to the slow speed of a Ferrari of last <laughs> year. So that's right. Yeah. That, you know, acceleration is, is you're not used to it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just found it hilarious. I was laughing yesterday because, yeah, like literally you, you could see him in that video too. He's just focusing on his steering wheel. You know, he's trying to uh, get adjusted there and maybe, you know, get himself into the race modes and everything. And then he just forget. It's almost like he forgets like, oh, shit, I'm starting 20th. Like, I need to go. <laughs> I wonder if, like, if anyone's asked him that question or if, you know, if maybe we'll get answered next weekend. So I'd like to see if he actually did that or if he's just like, yeah, no problem, ready to go. Yeah. I mean, it was excellent quick reactions because like it was right away, you know, he hit uh, whatever the red limit, rev limits are and then he went for it. But still, I was like, it's very late. I mean, it's fourth light essentially going onto the fifth light and that's only yeah. when he's <laughs> building up the revs. Yeah, I mean, it's he is a four-time world champion. So if anyone can, can really get away with those quick reactions, I mean... It's going to be Sebastian Vettel, who, I mean, had a decent race, in my opinion, as well, other than the, um, I guess, the lockup <laughs> and, and hit into Alcon. But he apologized to Alcon right after the race. So a nice guy, Vettel. Yes. Yeah, and I I think he said, I, I don't know if you guys heard, I was watching the team radios earlier today, that apparently when he went into that line, Alcon changed lines. He did not. 
Ocon did not move one inch. And I just saw no. Okay. Yeah, Ocon didn't move an inch. I I think I don't know what. Like what I think happened is that once Ocon passed him, Vettel tucked in behind Ocon. So if anyone changed lines, it was Vettel. Um, He he tucked behind Ocon, and I think he lost front downforce on the brakes, and that's why he locked up and hit Ocon. But anyways, he went right up to Ocon after the race and apologized right away before Ocon was even out of the car. So Yes, I did see that. Tell you what it reminded me of or what it looked like almost a carbon copy was when he hit Verstappen the same way that's in Silverstone. Exactly that's what I said. That's like, yeah, I was yeah. just saying I'm like sounds like a certain Verstappen incident uh, from last, was it two years ago now? Two I years, guess? yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so yeah, very similar to that one. Yeah, that's a good point to bring up. Another thing is that uh, he now has five penalty points from this weekend on his license, so not <laughs> ideal from Sebastian. Uh, two for the Ocon incident and three for ignoring yellow flags during qualifying. So it's been a, a penalty, uh, lots of penalties given throughout the weekend for for Sebastian. Yeah, he had zero when he started the weekend. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so man. I guess with that in mind, Sergio Perez definitely had a better start than his counterpart that joined Aston Martin. Oh, 100%. And I, I just want to make a quick comment on Fettel. You know, I, again, here's another driver everybody loves to pile on, right? He's been kind of the favorite one the last couple of years. It's no secret that I it's he's my favorite driver, so maybe I'm a little bit biased here, but I still got faith for him this season. I still think that he had, like you said, Tyler, he had a decent race when we looked at that he start did. there. He had some good battles with Fernando Alonso. He seemed more comfortable with the car than he did with the Ferrari last season. We didn't really see him that racy in 2021, so that's a positive. Now that that move against Ocon, those are the weird ones that I can't necessarily explain of what's going on and, and why he's doing some of those moves. And I know David Coulthard made some comments after that team radio that you guys are talking about that Seb was delusional, which I think that's a little bit too much. I just think it's a driver in the heat of the moment. He said the exact same thing with the Verstappen incident, and then he went and did the same thing after the race and said he apologized. He knew he was wrong in the heat of the moment. It's just that's how it comes off for these drivers. So delusional is a little extreme, but I still got faith in, in Vettel and I still think that he's going to have a better year. Let's just give him a couple of races to adjust to this car. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that you could notice that he wasn't fully comfortable with the brakes, maybe to start things off with in the Aston Martin. It's still his first race. So um, I, you know, jumping into a new car, he's only done it uh, two times before jumping into the Red Bull. And even then it was a sister car and then going to the Ferrari. So um it's learning a lot of new things for Sebastian, but he's a four-time world champion. I have a, a lot of belief in him, and I think he's going to have a fantastic year, along with Stroll, once they get some of those kinks figured out at Aston Martin. Yeah. And we all know the capabilities of that car. I mean, Lance Stroll had a fantastic weekend overall. Um, so we know the capabilities of the car. It's there. Um, I think, yeah, like like you guys said, it's just going to take Vettel a little bit of time to settle in um, and get used to his new team. Everything's different. You know, he was with that team for, what, six years? Five years? That's right. Six. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be, it's it's definitely going to be an adjustment, you know? Um, so, yeah. You but saw... Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you saw all drivers at their new team struggle. I mean, Ricardo, he had a decent race, had a solid race for McLaren, but that's not the best Ricardo that we've ever seen. And we know it's going to take him a couple races to adjust. So same thing with Perez, with that argument, again, that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. It's... Same with Carlos. S- same yeah, with same Carlos. With Car- yeah. 
absolutely. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about Ferrari too uh, because they, they were they impressed me. Thankfully, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was kind of beating them down before in our live stream, but they ended up delivering. But I 100% agree with you guys that let's give them a little bit of time to adjust. I feel that by uh, race four or five, you're going to see a little bit different. With Aston Martin, I think it's a little bit difficult because it seems like the new regulations have hurt them a little bit more than, let's say, their rivals over at McLaren. And so I think it's going to be a bit harder for them. But uh, another of their rivals, Alpine in the midfield, what would it be? You know, what would a Formula One return be if not for a Fernando Alonso retirement? It really, truly <laughs> felt like the sport was back, wasn't it? <laughs> Man, that guy has no luck. Eh? Like, it doesn't matter what team he goes to; it's just retirement city. Um, <laughs> no, but he actually had a decent race going. You know, before that, um, obviously, yeah, for some reason, he couldn't get past Vettel on old tires. I don't know what it was there, but um, it was just—I don't know if it was Vettel's calm head, but he just seemed to put his car in the right place, and it was very good at countering whenever uh, Alonso passed him. Um, but that was a fantastic battle watching those two in science. I had a lot of enjoyment watching that. To, the kind of the young young stud and two of his idols uh, growing up battling out together. Yeah, it was um, it was like looking at uh, two careers Ferrari ruined and one future one they'll ruin. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, that's that's, that's accurate actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, I think Charles Leclerc said the best at the end of at the end of qualifying. You know, it's not it's not what they expect it to be. Uh, it's much better than what they had last year. And overall it's, you know, kudos to them, kudos to the team for doing what they can and getting that car to what it can do basically. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point shaker where, you know, yeah, it's not as, as good as where they want to be, but yeah, at least it's way better. I think they were the car that lost the least amount of time over the rule changes over the winter yeah. so far, which I mean, I guess is very good damage control from Ferrari. Uh, so if they can keep it that way, that would be great. Um, but I think I predicted in our live stream, Chris, that uh, Ferrari would get uh, two cars in the points. So I somehow, you got it. somehow managed to get that bold prediction right. <laughs> they did very well. And yeah, they improved the most in their qualifying pace versus last year. Interestingly, and they didn't screw up their strategy. No, pit stop was good too. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I love this dynamic so far at Ferrari of Sainz and Leclerc because mm -hmm. how good was Carlos Sainz all the way up until essentially Q3 when Charles Leclerc pulled out another exceptional lap. But I love the fact that Sainz is making Leclerc a better driver and that Leclerc is stepping his game up to match Sainz because Carlos had a very good opening session to the weekend and following as well. So I think that they're going to really push each other. I still think it might get a little bit spicy in the midseason if they come together on track. But I really like that dynamic so far at Ferrari. And it seems like they definitely have improved on what was a dismal 2020 season. So that, that midfield battle is going to be incredibly close. But uh, definitely double points finish for Ferrari, I think, was really solid. Okay, so let's let's get right into the main event and what was one thing one thing that we were hoping for and we were expecting for this season, which is Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton, toe to toe on track, and hopefully the first of many in this season. And obviously, it wasn't without controversy. Thanks to our good friends at the FIA once again. <laughs> <laughs> I put the video out. Uh, My God, yeah, I put I put one video out to, uh, today. And I was going back and forth with you, Tyler, and with Shaker as well, because honestly, I was so confused. I had no idea which direction to go with this video because my first initial reaction was Max shouldn't have given the position back and should have just dealt with the penalty. But then reading the comments from Christian Horner, he said that they could have gotten a stiffer penalty and that it came directly from the race director's notes. 
then I start to research more into the regulations and what they say exactly, what the race director's notes was. And I was just so confused as to what, what am I going to say? You know, what, what do I really think about this incident? And I just basically took that emotion of confusion to say, what the hell, FIA? I mean, if, <laughs> if I'm this confused, I can't imagine what some of the newer fans are. So let me get your guys' thoughts on it. And, and what are your reactions to, first of all, the overtake outside on, on turn four and, and just the whole track limits debacle? And then we'll get more into the important stuff, which is Verstappen and Hamilton. Sorry, I thought you were going shaking. <laughs> Go ahead, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, first off, uh, man, the FI really dropped the ball in this. This all could have been avoided. It, like, I wanted to save this for for the podcast. And when you were you were texting saying, you know, "What's your opinion?" Tyler said, "It's neither the driver's fault or the team's fault. It's the FIA's fault." And that's because they put this whole scrutiny on turn four, turn four, turn four during the practices during qualifying all the laps would be deleted but for some reason in the race they decided oh you know what actually go ahead and track us dead in turn four <laughs> so the teams lewis and valtteri were saying you know what well they're not going to tell us we'll do it so they were the only two cars track extending for in turn four for the first 20 laps and then you know max finally got the message saying hey mercedes are track extending in turn four like let's do the same until we're told not to and I would say probably five, 10 laps after that, all of a sudden the FIA are like, whoa, 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 no, no, you, you can't go wide and turn four anymore. We're going to start giving you penalties. And that's when he heard Lewis be like, well, I thought this was legal. Like what, like, I don't understand why all of a sudden it's not legal mid race, which, Hey, I don't get it either. Lewis doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how you can change a track limit midway through your race. Um, so, I mean, that really infuriates me. And I was listening to Martin Brundle, and I think he hit it spot on. The track limits are the, are the white lines, not the curbs, not the outside of the curbs. They're the white lines. I don't know how hard it is not to make it clear that the white lines are the track. And, that you know, I don't know how that's not. I was looking through the whole sporting regulation. There is not one article in that sporting <laughs> regulation that I could find that dedicated something to uh, – to, to track limits or to what a track limit is, it, there's nothing. And if someone can find a, a sporting regulation that does say it, please send it or leave it in the comments because I didn't see anything and that's a long document. So, I, I mean, can we like, oh, I'm so frustrated. Yeah. Because uh, it ruined a, a really good race. It ruined what could have been a fantastic finish between. Verstappen and Hamilton now just leads to controversy and we can't appreciate the fantastic battle that those two drivers had. I think the track limits is what the FIA decides. <laughs> it is. It, like, it is, which is ridiculous in my opinion. It like, is absolutely ridiculous because I agree the track limits should be the white lines. You're keeping at least a millimeter or whatever you whatever you can on the, on that white line it should count as a track limit. If you're over, you're off the track and you should lose time or whatever it is. Yeah. So if they are going to enforce the rules, why wasn't whoever, not just the one person, whoever went over the track limit, why weren't they given a time penalty for each time they went over? You know, like that should have been taken into account and then open, and then put in overall at the end. If they are really going to enforce the track limits that much, not halfway through, because it doesn't make any sense for them to do that halfway through the race. And yeah, well, like Lewis got a message being like, hey, if we go over one more time, we'll get the black and white flag. He's like, what do you mean if we go over one more time? Like, we've been doing this the whole race. Why is it like a big deal now? So yeah. they were going to start all of a sudden handing out penalties for it. And it's like, no, like 
you can't just start handing out penalties for something that you decided you, you can change midway through the race. There's actually, I was watching NASCAR, they were on dirt earlier today, and there's actually a, a rule in the NASCAR rule book that says NASCAR can change any rule during the middle of the race when it has to do for the good of NASCAR. <laughs> That's basically what that rule says. And like th- that should be the sporting regulation for the FIA apparently because I mean, they all of a sudden change in all these rules for, for no reason. Yeah, and, and here's where it gets worse, which is the worst part, Tyler. You mentioned the regulation. So I've dived into it yesterday because I wanted to, you know. Did you find anything? Yeah, so this is what's interesting. Oh, you did? Oh, okay, great. It doesn't necessarily address what the track limits are because, like you said, I mean, they change it like it's a pair of socks depending on which track we go to. But in the Bahrain race director's notes, so on Friday after FP1, if people don't know the timeline, they said that, okay, we're not going to enforce track limits for individual lap time set during free practice or qualifying. Okay, seems pretty simple enough. Or sorry, excuse me. Let me restart that. They said that they <laughs> will enforce track limits after FP1 uh, for obviously the two practice sessions and then qualifying, meaning if you go outside the white lines and the curb, your lap will be deleted. Now, below that, it says for the race, drivers are reminded of provision article 27.3 of the sporting regulations. I have it right here up with me and I'll read it out to you guys. 27.3 has very interesting ones because to me, they contradicted the very same thing in the race director's notes, not to mention the fact that they didn't even follow this regulation because the first one says, drivers must make every reasonable effort to use the track at all times and may not deliberately leave the track without a justifiable reason. So if we just apply that provision to Hamilton or anybody else going off track in the race, they are violating 27.3 of that sporting regulation, meaning they should have either been, you know, A, given a warning or B, given a penalty. So it just contradicts the race director's notes, which is like, well, for the race guys, remember Article 27.3. Article 27.3 says you have to stay within the damn track limits. You know, you can only leave if, let's say, you're pushed off track or you have some sort of a problem. But there's no justifiable reason here because they're leaving the track to try and gain an advantage. And Lewis and Valtteri and Max gained an advantage throughout the course of 30 laps by improving their lap time. Guys, if, if the drivers are going out there, they're going out there because they're trying to improve a lap time. A Formula One driver will not use that bit of the track if he doesn't think that it'll benefit him. So I'm with you, Tyler. I mean, I, I'm confused. I'm angry because this just doesn't make any sense. And they just contradict their own rules. They don't even apply their own rules. Well, I'm glad you found the article that had it because, I mean, I couldn't find it. There's a lot to look through, though, so yeah. <laughs> I, I just must have missed it. And I'll post that in the description of this video for people to go and read, and I'll tell you exactly which section is because I'll, I'll read the rest of it because there's sort of three parts that limits to uh, track limits. So it's under 27, which is dr- called driving, and then 27.3. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, my God. 27.3 is specifically for track limits. So the second one says uh, drivers will be judged to have left the track if no part of the car remains in contact with it. And in the avoidance of doubt, any white lines defining the track edges are considered to be part of the track, but the curbs are not. So interesting, that's sort of a definition as to what track limits would be, right? And then the very last thing, which applies to what Verstappen did, should a car leave the track, their driver may rejoin. However, this is only be done when it is safe to do so without gaining any lasting advantage, which, excuse me, of course he did because he gained the position. At the absolute discretion of the race director, a driver may be given the opportunity to give back the whole of any advantage he gained by leaving the track. So that is why 
Horner said that they had to give the position back because they would have been in direct violation of a sporting regulation. They would have directly disobeyed a race director's order, which probably would have carried a more stiffer penalty than, let's say, five seconds. Yes, I was going to mention that because they were told on the radio to give the position back right away. And Max said, well, why didn't you just let me keep going? And I would have dealt with the five second penalty and, you know, just you know, bridge that gap. I could have gone five seconds. And when he immediately said that, I thought, well, the FIA aren't going to give him a five second penalty. They're going to give him, they'll investigate until after the race. And then what they'll say is they'll give him whatever penalty that um, Hamilton was behind. So say Hamilton was behind eight seconds and it'd be a 10 second penalty. If Hamilton was behind 11 seconds and it would be a, a 15 second penalty just to put him in second place. So I think even if Max did, you know, just not give the place back, I think the FIA would have given whatever penalty to put Max in second place. Shaker, how confused are you? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like something very similar happened in Austria two years ago, but obviously it wasn't completely off the track. It was the opposite of Max being in the inside and Charles Leclerc going off track and obviously, you know, completely different situation. Um, I I do agree that Max should have given the position back because yes you did go off track but i honestly think that everybody should have gotten a time penalty like to get like a millisecond or a second or whatever taken away from your time at the very end for the amount of times that you went off track they have so many they have so many cameras on track that can literally tally each time that these cars went off track they have all your cameras on all of these cars that they can tally every single time these cars went on track and be like, okay, one second, two second, let's take it off the initial time and however many times they got taken off, that should be the grid positions in the end. You know what? I, like I, I, I would much rather that shaker than what the, the, the shit show that we saw at the end of the race. Like, yeah. Cause at least it gives a fair time to every single person that went off track and the, every person that didn't go off track, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just my personal opinion of the matter. Um, I don't. I agree that it would not have been a five-second penalty. Uh, it probably would have been ten seconds at the end of it, because uh, then they would have gone back and be like, "Oh, well, Max went off this many times, so he's going to get a ten-second penalty because it was, you know, he was already warned by his t- his team was already warned." Um, it's stupid. Is what I think it is. <laughs> yeah, like, I and mean, I would agree that like. It- Max should have given the place back as well. I don't think it was a legal overtake. It, no. it's, it wasn't a legal overtake, which yeah. I hope that everyone can see that and agree on that. I know I'm sure there's some people who won't agree on that, but you know, I don't know. I, you have to make the pass within the track limits. It wasn't in the track limits. I think it's pretty cut and dry there. Yep. No, I agree. Um, well, I will say, though, I think Max gave the position back in the wrong area. That's right. I think I- he should. I don't. I think he should have gave it back on the main straight. Yeah, but even if he's like argued it for half a lap and then gave it back on the pit straight, where he could have tucked in behind and then re overtook Hamilton, where the straight he gave it up on wasn't long enough for him to tuck in behind and then make another dive bomb, and then his tires got hot behind Lewis and he made that oversteer correction and that kind of really messed up the rest of his race. But pretty crazy to see a extremely level-headed, mature Max Verstappen to, like you said, not even complain on team radio. Well, I mean, he did, but to to just 
completely oblige. I mean, what, two years ago, he wouldn't have gave the position back at all, just like he did in Mexico a couple of years ago against Vettel and, and uh, Ricardo at that time. So a totally different Max Verstappen for 2021. But uh, yeah, yeah, good for him. Absolutely. And I think, uh, like you said, a, a very mature Max Verstappen, even at his team radio at the very end, um, like he was angry that he lost the position, but it wasn't the, you know, the infuriated Max that we usually see kind of, uh, you know, yelling a little bit on uh, yelling a little bit on the team radio. You know, he's like, I'd rather uh, I would have rather lost like that than Luke come in second like this. You know, he was like, he'd rather make up the time and lose, you know, lose second than with the time lost and try to then try to do do what he did there. So I think you're very mature Max from this year. Um, I think it's you know, in the end, it's going to help out Red Bull quite a lot because, you know, hopefully we don't see a lot of those uh, early mistakes that we saw a few years ago and which I think every year we've seen an improvement on. So in the end, I hope the FIA have learned a lesson and that is <laughs> to stick with the same track limits from FP1 to the end of the race. Yep. Uh, so hopefully that will come into effect at Imola in three weeks time. I think I'll be in Formula One by the time that happens, Tyler. <laughs> i'm not i'm not holding up my hopes mike and you know what the worst part just to wrap this up michael massey was even worse after the race because hamilton said that they changed at mid-race for Stappen was saying they were ultra confused and massey was like no nope, no we didn't we had two people monitoring turn four track limits and everybody except well, one did. was respecting it and i'm just like well what do you mean so i mean who's lying is it the drivers is it the teams or is it no it's 100 the fia because we saw Valtteri and Lewis go off and, and use it all the time. So I, I don't know. I don't understand what they're doing. If they had two people watching it, they must be blind. <laughs> yeah. Like seriously. 100%. Okay. Well, uh, that's, that's the track limit stuff. That was the negative things. But just to wrap up this episode, let's talk about what was the extreme positive and what was just a, a pleasure to watch. And that was Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton. And let's just give credit to where credit's due. Lewis Hamilton put on an exceptional drive put his car on every single right bits of the track was, you know, one of the things I don't think Hamilton gets enough credit of in terms of his driving skills is how smart he is in terms of a driver and his technical know-how. Notice how he didn't allow Verstappen any wiggle room going into turn one and essentially kind of baited him into overtaking him at turn four, knowing all this track limit stuff and knowing that that nature of the corner, if you want to overtake on the outside, you're going to have to go a little bit wide. And of course, Verstappen had that oversteer moment, which eventually led to him having to give up that position. So Hamilton drove extremely well on that used set of tires as well. I think Mercedes nailed the strategy as Red Bull didn't. I think that we saw in that first stint, Red Bull kind of was sleeping a little bit and didn't necessarily have the best strategy. But again, like I said, if Perez comes into play, I think that will help them. But overall, I just think it was so enjoyable to watch the both of them. And if we didn't have the controversy, it would have been extremely enjoyable, you know, regardless of the fact we've seen Hamilton win quite enough in the last couple of years. But that's the battle that we want. And it looks like we're going to be able to get that throughout the whole season. Yeah, and I don't even mind like Hamilton winning and, and Max coming second. Like I'm just happy it was a very close and exciting race in the end. Um, I'll take that any day of the week uh, right now. I mean, like you say, it shows how amazing of a driver Lewis is uh, to be able to pick and choose when he's going to decide to get passed by to use it to his advantage. Right. And um, I, I was I'm catching up on drive to survive and um, I was rewatching the um, Mercedes German debacle from season two and it, it, I was watching that and I was thinking back to 
the race that just happened thinking, you know, it, it's amazing how good of a driver Lewis Hamilton is. I mean, in Germany, of course, he was very, very ill, um, still got pole position during qualifying, although being very ill and obviously just made that one mistake to, to well, two mistakes, I guess, to spin out. Um, but it just brought me back to the, like how mentally in tune he is with his car and with the strategy the whole time. And, uh, you know, we're not going to see a driver like him too often in the sport, one of the greatest of all time. So I think it's, it's, it'll be nice to enjoy the last few years that he he's racing in formula one. And uh, it will be nice to see him maybe pass the torch to max or to whoever's going to be the next world champion and to see them battle it out. And, you know, if we get like we did during this last race for the next 22 races, man, it's going to be an awesome season. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think, uh, you know, what he said at the end, he's like, Bono said, you know, he's still got it for an old man. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. It's just watching that race. I ended up rewatching the entire thing this morning. Just like you guys said, he every time it came to defending and being on the offensive, Lewis is always on the right foot. He knows exactly what to do. His little bait in with Max, uh, with, with the switch, was fantastic to, to, you know, to try to get him on the inside. Um, and I think the other thing we have to realize is Red Bull, uh, with Perez going out in the first, you know, right before we started the formation lap, it kind of screwed up all of Red Bull's strategies that they would have had. So they had to adapt to adapt to a different strategy. Um, and big kudos to Mercedes for, you know, pouncing on that right away to realize that they need to go to a three top, three stop strategy to make, uh, to put Lewis up ahead. Um, and even right at the very end, uh, they knew they were going to lose out on points, uh, putting Valtteri on the soft tires to get him the fastest lap for that extra point as well. Um, so yeah, I think team strategies were f fantastic today. Um, I I'm sure we'll be seeing more from Red Bull uh, as we, as we move on. So. Kudos to Pirelli for bringing us tires that uh, actually had some degrading in it, and we could see multiple pit stops and different strategies. Yep, yep, um, yeah. That will be key for this season too, is making sure that the tires are in the right working range, and obviously managing the tires as well, which Mercedes seemed to have done a good job with. Mm -hmm. But it's a good omen, I think, for the rest of the year. And interesting that the Honda Power as well held up very well. I think reliability might be a little bit of a concern, as obviously they had to replace. I believe it was the control electronics and, and the turbo on Perez's car just before the race as they saw some sort of an issue that they couldn't figure out. So hopefully that they can get that sorted out and that they won't have any more of those types of issues throughout the year. But they seem very, very quick in a straight line, more so than Mercedes, I would say. And then obviously very strong in the corners as well. So it's going to be extremely close. Imola will be interesting because I think it's more, it's obviously more downforce sensitive than Bahrain is. So I think that Red Bull should be strong there. Mercedes, I believe, will be good as there as well. And it's going to be exciting to see these two guys go after it, man. I think that uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how aggressive Verstappen gets sort of later on into the season. I don't think he was maybe as aggressive as he could have been in this race in terms of, let's say he didn't send a dive bomb in the last lap like he did in Monaco a couple years ago, for example. But I think he was very measured and unfortunately wasn't able to get the move done legally anyways. But I still think that uh, both of them were just at the top top of their game. And it's what we want to see. So finally, we got it. Now let's just hope it continues for 22 races and that both of their teammates can also get involved in the fight too. Yeah, I want to touch on Bottas quickly. Um, it, and I was listening to his... Uh, post-race radio, F1's putting out all the drivers who finish post-race radio. 
And it was really interesting um, because his engineer was saying how, you know, Valtteri, uh, I know you finished third, but you should be very happy about the pace you had. You had the best pace out of everyone on the track. And Valtteri said something along the lines of, we're way too conservative with our strategy. We need to be way more aggressive with what we do. We're too conservative. And his engineer said, uh, you'll have a smile on your face when you see your pace. Which, like, if I was a driver and I heard that, I'd say, like, you know, screw off. I wanted, like, I still finished third. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, I found that very interesting from Valtteri because I think he's starting to get sick of being on the wrong side of all these strategy calls and, you know, is wanting to have a more aggressive strategy. We saw at the end of last year where he's like, put me on whenever Lewis isn't on. And the team was, no, 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 we can't do that. And then, you know, this two races later, Lewis goes on a different tire than what Valtteri was on, right? Um, I forget what races those were, but that was a thing last year. So I really hope we see Valtteri push back and get some more strategy on his side. Because I think if he actually did get the same strategy as Lewis, he would have been up there challenging for a race win as well. Uh, you haven't watched season three of Drive to Survive yet, eh? I haven't. Okay, so uh, it's fuck you, Botas, this year. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that works. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I think he said it in the end of the season that it's fuck you, Botas, this year. It's, he's not. He's not. Take, he's not sitting back this year anymore. So should be Love interesting. It. <laughs> to whom it may concern. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Well, and you're right because his pace in that second stint was very good. He was closing not only on Verstappen but Tan Hamilton as well. Yeah. I think the yeah, com- he was the fastest. One hundred percent. The complexion of that race, I think, would have changed had they not screwed his pit stop. So yep. I, I think yes. Valtteri's well within the right to be pissed off, but he's going to na- need to take things into his own hand. And first of all, it's going to need to start in qualifying because if you're starting third, you're at least behind Hamilton, you're going to have to play second fiddle. I mean, he might have to anyway, because obviously we've seen in the past him qualify on pole and have to give up a, a win. But he needs to assert himself into that conversation by qualifying ahead of Lewis and then in the race, just not giving any inch, especially off the starts, trying to get his elbows out a little bit and go Nico Rosberg-esque in 2016 and try and try and rattle Hamilton a little bit that way. But other than that, I think he should, I think he should talk to, to Nico <laughs> and, and get some advice on what he did to counteract the, the loose favoritism at, uh, at Mercedes, because um, he's going to need to be just as aggressive as Nico and um, really push the limit on whether he's a teammate or fighting for a championship. Yep, absolutely. It should be interesting to see how he does in the next couple of races, but definitely some unluck on his behalf. So final one for me, really, and just a, a quick shout out before we wrap up here is the rookie Yuki Sonoda. First mm. uh, rookie in uh, quite a long time, I think, actually, to score points on his debut. Unfortunately, yeah, is it Stoffel? Yeah, that's right. Stoffel yes, Vendor? yes. When he uh, replaced uh, Alonso in, in Bahrain, actually, right here, interestingly enough. So yeah, he had a very good, strong race. Of course, was out qualified by a stellar performance by Pierre Gasly. Unfortunately, Gasly had some front wing contact with Daniel Ricciardo, so he was out of play early on in the race. But Sonoda did a fantastic job. Had some excellent overtakes on one of his heroes, Fernando Alonso, which was very special for him and a couple of other drivers as well. So we were talking about this in the preseason as well, just how impressed we were by Yuki Sonoda, and very good that this has continued into the race as well. That was one of his ambitions and targets before the season was to score points and the team wanted him to score points as well so the fact that he did it in his first race is a very positive start qualifying he'll need to improve upon of of course just a little bit but it's super close in that midfield it was really only a couple tenths in it between uh, him and q3 
but uh, excellent performance by the young Japanese star. Yeah, I thought he was very impressive uh, throughout the whole race, um, minus the first couple laps that he had. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, he was very good. He was very impressive during qualifying. He was just putting up blistering laps and and all that. So I, I know we said you know, that I, you know, we both thought that he needed another year in F two. But you know, if he goes ahead and proves us wrong, then you know, I'm here for it because uh, uh, we always want to see drivers do well and. He's very aggressive on the radio. He, like, I don't, you know, he swears a lot. He it's does. Crazy. Yeah. Very aggressive on the radio, but he likes to talk. I was listening to his post-race interview and he just kept talking and talking and talking during the interview. It was, it was awesome to see um, a driver with, you know, English not his first language, but, you know, to be so passionate and just talking and it seemed like a good guy wanting to, to talk about, uh, talk about racing. So no, I good for the young lad. He, he did very well, impressed me. And uh, I think is the front runner for rookie of the year. Without a doubt. And he's a great character as well. He kind of shows his personality every now and again, but you know, typically when you, lo- when you learn English for the first time, you learn all the swear words first. So that's probably, yes. you know, why he's so proficient in that regard. But I like that. I like that. He's that fiery already in, in his first season and his first race, his first weekend, really, we don't necessarily see that from some of the rookies. So that's great. And Ross Braun actually was just reading earlier today saying that, He's one of the most talented rookies they've had in recent years. So that's that's quite a big compliment considering some of the rookies like Verstappen, for example, and Charles Leclerc, who've recently entered. So big yeah. things uh, expected from Yuki, and he's certainly delivering so far. So uh, that's about it for me on the 2021 Bahrain Grand Prix. Did you guys have any other comments or uh, things that you noticed that you wanted to talk about? Shaker, you're muted if you're trying to talk. Can you guys can you guys hear me? There we go. Now you now I can hear you. You're muted on Zoom. Oh okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you can still hear. You can still reply though. You can still responded. No. <laughs> oh, I see what you're doing. <laughs> okay, That's... Kimmy. Yeah, nice one. Uh, I didn't I didn't clue in there. Nice one, guy. Okay. Nice one. Um, but yeah, uh. I think one there was one thing I wanted to add, but I just got distracted by that. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. If if no one understands what Shaker's referencing to, it's uh, came, listen to Kim Raikkonen's team radio because Raikkonen was asking if they could hear him, and his engineer just kept saying, "No, we can't hear you." But like in perfect like sync with when he was done talking. So I don't know. It was really weird. I don't know if they were playing a joke on him or what. I don't know. I, oh yes, sorry. It was on that um, on Yuki Sonoda. Um, his overtake on Kimi Raikkonen was also fantastic. Um, uh, that's why I was doing that. I was like, I, I was going to lead this to something. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, his uh, overtake on that was fantastic. Uh, I think Kimi even said he's like, oh, okay, he's going to make a push. Okay, no chance. So like, it was, it was a beautiful overtake. It literally gave Kimi no room, uh, no room to try and defend or anything there. I know it's, it has to do a lot of with pace with the Alpha this year, but I mean, Yuki is just... Amazing start to the season. Uh, you could see the aggressiveness. Um, I think if Pierre Gasly, we don't, don't know the, where he would have landed, but I think he's the only new driver in a team to outshine his teammate in terms of being a new driver and them having an old driver. Um, right. I think because, you're right. Uh, but again, that's, that's just Pierre Gasly with that incident that he had. We don't know the full circumstances. But for his first race, did I uh, you know, do better, a little bit better than his teammate? as a rookie driver is very, very well done. 
Absolutely. And the other two, or the other new teammate, which uh, Daniel Ricardo wanted to give a special shout out as well to Lando Norris in P4, who quietly yep. had a fantastic weekend and a fantastic race as well. They had a very good battle between the two, Ricardo and Norris did early on in the race, which was excellent clean driving between the two which is kind of, you know, exactly what I expect from from Ricardo, especially and Norris. So I think they're going to work really well together. McLaren definitely at the moment are the third best team. And I think that they've got uh, some decent pace advantage over their rivals. And who knows, maybe in some tracks, they'll be able to try and at least push uh, Mercedes and Red Bull. I still think that they're off from that. But I think they'll be trying to knock on the door of some podium finishes this year. But I just want to say Norris had, had a fantastic race. Absolutely. Yeah, he really did. And, you know, I was going to just touch on because I in my prediction I've Aston Martin finishing third in the constructor standings and you know they seem to be half decent throughout the race uh, but they really really struggled on the hard hard tires I don't know what it was their setup wasn't good for hard tires but uh, they'll have to get that sorted out yeah uh, for the next races and uh, this wouldn't be Canadian podcast if we didn't touch on the Canadian drivers um, so I just want to touch on that quickly before we wrap up uh, Lance Stroll um, had a decent race uh, was fifth, sixth, seventh through most of the race, and then got on those hard tires and uh, did not have any pace at all. Really, got passed by Sonoda on the second to last lap for uh, for ninth, and uh, so he ended up finishing tenth. And Nicholas Latifi, a, a tough race for Nicholas. Um, unfortunately, for Williams in general, Russell wasn't really too much of a factor during the race either, which is too bad from Williams. They seem to have better pace than what um, they did last year in terms of where they are on the grid. I think they have high speed, uh, but there's still a gap there to Alfa Romeo, who was a lot quicker than what I thought they would be. Uh, they really impressed me uh, yeah. in this weekend. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hopefully Williams can uh, pull their socks up and get something there for Russell and Latifi. So we'll see going forward. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for our, for Williams and for Haas to try and uh, move up the grid a little bit because there's some teams that were a lot better than what I thought they would be. 100%. And overall, the grid just seems a lot closer than it even was last year. So I think that, as we stated many times, that that battle in the midfield is going to be extremely close. And it was brilliant to see in qualifying as we were live just how small the gaps were between all the teams. And really, from 1 through 15, it was, it was incredibly close. So small margins are going to make the big difference in 2021. And teams like Aston Martin and Alpine, for example, they have a lot of work cut out for them to match some of their rivals and to try and find some pace in their cars. But it's only race one, boys, and uh, I think we're in for a pretty storming season. And uh, I think uh, if you guys don't have anything more, then that will be it for the 2021 Bahrain Grand Prix. Got a big lull until uh, MLS, so I guess, you know, get your drive to survive in and uh, bridge the gap until MLS. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. And I'm sure that we'll be uh, coming out with some sort of content between uh, now and Imola. It's about three weeks, actually. By the time this podcast comes out, obviously, it'll be a little bit shorter, two and a half weeks or so. But it's not bad. It gives us a little bit of a break in terms of what was a very busy preseason. And then after April, really, it's going to really turn up to 10 in terms of intensity for the F1 schedule. So it's a quiet uh, March, or excuse me, it's going to be a quiet April. But I think that Imola race, the fact that we get a three-week break, I think is almost nice because... We're just going to really build the hype after what was such an exciting race here in Bahrain. So I can't wait to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Chris. All right. Well, then that will do it then for episode 102 of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. If you made it this far, thank you very much for listening or watching wherever uh, you're watching, either on YouTube or listening on any of your favorite podcast apps and platforms. 
If you want to support our channel, reminder that, that those links can be found in the description below. You can donate to us directly via buymycoffee.com or excuse me, buymeacoffee.com or via PayPal. Any donations at all or any support would be greatly appreciated. If you can't do that, no problem. Our content will always be free or at the very least, just subscribe to us on YouTube and also follow us on social media as well as that would be greatly appreciated. I'll leave the final word then to you guys. Any more thoughts then on uh, Bahrain Grand Prix or anything in the upcoming uh, F1 world? No, not not for me. Uh, we're just I'm just pumped to see what the rest of the season is going to be. I'm really excited to see what's going to happen uh, this year. 23 races. Um, so far, it looks like it's going to be one of the best F1 seasons in recent memory. Yeah, I'm uh, super looking forward to the season. Uh, the first uh, race kind of brought out a lot. So it's, you know, these three weeks are going to be a little bit slow uh, waiting for it to come up. But uh, yeah, very, very excited for this season and what's to come uh, from what we've seen. So, And I, I will say I've I've met a lot of people that are getting into F1 this year because of the Drive to Survive seasons. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to see them jump into F1 this season mm -hmm. uh, because it's not going to be one of those lull seasons. I think it's going to be a really interesting season. So um, it's awesome to see new people getting into the sport and uh, a perfect year for them to do it. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Can't wait to see what happens this year and uh, can't wait to have you guys along with us here on the Backmarkers F1 Show channel. For Tyler McDonald and Shaker Barty, thanks for watching today's uh, Zoom edition of the podcast. Hopefully within uh, the next couple of months, we'll have a more physical location set up at a new studio and we'll be all be able to uh, join back together again in the same room for this podcast. But until then, we, uh, we do with what we can and we hope that you enjoyed our coverage and our thoughts on the race. Of course, drop your own down below in the comment section and we'll try to reply to as many as we can in the next couple of weeks before Imola. Until then, guys, I'm Chris Cato. Thanks for watching, and uh, we'll see you soon. Take care.